0: So we're in this uh, series called Identity Crisis, and we're talking about the different ways we find our identity. And uh, some of those things are positive, and some of those things are negative. When I was uh, in high school, well, I started playing soccer when soccer first came to the U.S., okay? So uh, it it wasn't very popular at all. Um, Oh, man, you are the king. Thank you. Oh, and it's actually even working this is great. Oh, I feel so much in control and happy. Um, so I was very little and, uh, I was good at it because there wasn't that much competition at that particular time in, uh, in, in playing soccer. And so I, I played and I don't know if you remember, but, uh, when, uh, that started, uh, they had these bumper stickers that used to say soccer sucks. Uh, and it would usually be on a, on a pickup truck. Um, and uh, so there was kind of this, it was just not that, that popular. So, but I had gotten started so young. I, by the time I had gotten into, you know, we moved out to California and I was getting older. I was good at it because other people were just, just starting out. And so I had this idea that I was going to be a professional soccer player. Okay. Yeah. And uh, you, it's amazing what your mind can convince you of. And... Uh, so, so I, started, I got into junior high, and then I started playing on the high school team, and um, I still had this thing. I got, you know, I can always fall back on being a professional soccer player. And uh, so, I, I figured too, I was happy because this is how I was going to get through college. I was going to get a full ride to uh, a, a college. Well... <clears throat> come to find out, none, none of the colleges were too terribly interested in me. So uh, I was playing in this one tournament, and the coach for Azusa Pacific University was the ref. And he came up afterwards, and he said, have you f- figured out where you're going to school? I'm like, finally, my talents have been discovered. And uh, I, I said, no. I said, well, why don't you come to Azusa Pacific? And um, I was like, Azusa Pacific, I'd like to go to like a, I want to play for like a, a big school. So No one was interested, but Westmont College, which is where I ended up going to college, they had an incredibly good uh, soccer team, but it was in the NAIA. It wasn't like Division I or anything. And so uh, my coach had that coach drive down from Santa Barbara and watch one of the games. And I knew he was there, and so I was just playing— I was just bawling. I was just playing. I was just going for it. And uh, afterwards, he left and he wrote me a letter. And he said, uh, not interested. <laughs> he said, but you can walk on if you want. Well, in my delusion, I figured, well, this is, I just, maybe the game wasn't good enough or whatever. So I, 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 I go to West Monk Hall. I get, I get in, which was a miracle in and of itself. And uh, I, I go, go to... Uh, the dorm, we get there two weeks before anyone else. And within one half of an hour, I realized I have no business being there at all. None. I was a failure. Okay? So I ended up, I made it through the whole season. They, I don't know why they let me walk on. Like, every, you need a tackling dummy or whatever. Every team needs some, some, some type of practice squad. So I, I fail at that. I get done with uh, my degree. I start working for this company. And uh, we, we have this big account, um, United Airlines. And we had to create this system that would track all of their beverages all over the world. And so I worked on this thing for hours and hours, probably 100 hours, on this web-based inventory system. I fly out to Chicago. I'm with a bunch of executives. I'm like 27 years old. Have no business being in there. Do my pitch. Everything's going great. They call me up two days later. Not interested. Failure. Right? Then we, uh, I become a pastor here. We sell our home. I take all the equity from the home because we sold it at the height of the market. I decide to invest it in the stock market. Because if I'm going to have the money, I might as well put it to my use. And so... Um, I had these stop losses in there, and I ended up losing some money, uh, and I just felt shame and failure and just stupid, like, what are you doing? Why would you do that? And so, uh, those are three of my big failures that, that really kind of, as I think back, and even as I was thinking about them this week, I just kind of got a little knot in my stomach. Like, I felt... Like, who thinks they could be a professional soccer player? Like, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Uh, And and so, you know, you're just sitting there going, like, shaking your head at yourself. Do you have those failures in your life? Maybe you go back to your junior high days. I was talking to Rihanna on the phone this week, and um, Rihanna's really good at this this thing called Enneagram. I don't know if you've ever heard of it, but it's basically a personality test. And uh, I... Uh, and you have like, what, what is it? One through seven or something like that? Nine? Okay, one through nine. And I'm a one, which means uh, I'm doomed, <laughs> essentially. It's a perfectionist, you know. So, so I, I, I'm a one. And so, so my failures all are self-reflective. Like I, I'll be the judge of me way harder than you'll be the judge of me. But maybe for you, it's not you. Maybe it's your parents' Maybe your parents, you're seeking that, 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 um, uh, the, the qualification of your parents. Or maybe it's a spouse. Or maybe it's a brother or a sister or a coworker. You just want that validation. And you think, I, I, I'm failing until I can get that validation. Maybe that's it for you. And so you just sit with that heavy failure of non-acceptance. Maybe for you it's something, it's something different. Maybe it is a real big failure. Maybe you got behind the wheel one time when you had no business getting behind the wheel. And that's now on your record. Here's the good news. What I want to talk about this morning. Your failures do not define you. Your failures shape you. But they do not define you your identity is not in your biggest failure now for some of you you're like well i've never i've never really thought that my failures define me good for you praise god keep up the great work but there's an, uh, another statistically large se- sense of the uh, uh, set of the population that cannot get over those failures they think they should have known better. They think they should have made wiser decisions. They think they never should have done that. They never should have gotten into that relationship. Maybe for you, that's your failure. Your first marriage. Your second marriage. Hopefully, there's not like a fourth or fifth because that would be a you problem, okay? Uh, so you have these things and it's like, it's like they did just weigh on you. But what I want to hopefully do this morning is I, I want to look into a section of scriptures called 2 Corinthians. It's, it's uh, the second letter we have that Paul wrote to this church in Corinth. He probably wrote three because uh, he mentions another one. Uh, but we don't have that third one. So we just have first and Second Corinthians. And what he's trying to do is he's trying to get this church to have what we would call, like in fancy spiritual terms, a, a, a uh, kingdom mindset. A mindset that how you are right now is not necessarily all of who you are. That there's a perspective about your job, about your um, your family, about your neighborhood, about how far along you've come in life that can change in a second when we incorporate Jesus into the equation. And so we're in 2 Corinthians Chapter 5, verse 4. And Paul uh, sets it out like this. He says, for while we are in this tent, we groan and are burdened because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling. So Paul's saying this, while you have this body, this flesh and blood, you are not going to ha- be at your full potential. This, you're going to fail. You're going to make mistakes. You're going to feel pain. You're going to go through things that you wish you weren't going through. And that we use this word grow. Remember last week we were talking about the fact that um, the Holy Spirit intercedes for us with groanless, uh, with uh, uh, A wordless groans. And we said all of creation groans. There's this this theme that Paul has. That this is not the way it's supposed to be. And so he says we groan. And we long for this idea that we should be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling. So that what is mortal. Me, this. May be swallowed up by life. He says this, therefore, we are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, right here, we're absent from the Lord. Now, we're not absent from the Lord as far as his presence with us and all those things. But there's going to be situations that we find ourselves in where we make these mistakes, where we make decisions, judgment calls, Taking a job that we should have never taken. Getting into a relationship we should have never gotten into. Making investments we shouldn't have uh, have ever, ever made. And we sit with those consequences and we groan and say, oh man. But there's good news. There's incredibly great news. And it's this. For we live by faith, not by sight. In other words. The decisions I make, the mistakes I've made, the the way I see things doesn't have to be right just what I see. That I can have faith that there is a God that can redeem those mistakes, that can see me through those situations. That my eternity with Him, while I'm in this tent groaning, my eternity with Him starts now. I was teaching a theology class yesterday. And so I got. I'm surrounded by 11 future pastors, and uh, they have to take this class. In our denomination, we teach two classes: uh, history and polity of the Free Methodist Church, which we're actually going through on Wednesday nights. If you'd like to join us at seven o'clock in the um, in the fellowship hall, Um, and uh, and then Wesleyan theology, which is just a theology class of what kind of the impact of John Wesley, which is what our denomination uh, follows, that particular vein of theology. And we were talking about this word, soteriology, (laughs) okay? It's just a fancy word for salvation talk, (laughs) okay? Uh, So I like salvation talk better, but when you're talking to a bunch of pastors, you have to use big words, apparently. Uh, And so I wrote on the board, how do you get saved? And what are you saved from and what are you saved to? And so we have all these great minds in there talking about, well, you, you need humility to be saved. You need repentance to be saved. All these things. And you're saved to heaven and you're saved from hell. And, you, and, and we're going on and on. And all those things are correct. But just to be clear, we are not saved For a destination. We are saved. And eternity starts. Our relationship with Jesus. Today. Right now. Right where you're sitting. In this earthly tent. So that he goes along with you. Through your day. That you become more like him. That even though I'm in this earthly tent. And I groan. And I long to be clothed. In my heavenly dwelling. I can be the kind of husband. Jesus would be to my wife. I can be the kind of employee Jesus would be for my work. I can be the kind of neighbor Jesus would be. And when you have that perspective, what we would call that kingdom perspective, the mistakes and the things that you're going through and all those begin to take a back seat in your life. In other words, my success and my ability to get through life is not dependent on my ability to avoid mistakes. It's my ability to how to deal with my humanness and my frailty in the midst of that. We walk by faith, not by sight. By sight, I might be really stupid with finances. By sight, I might be delusional and think I'm a better athlete than I am. By sight, I might think that missing out on this deal that we had, because had, I had plans, man. If that deal went through, I had plans. We were going to spin off a whole nother company. I was going to move to some mansion. I was going to drive some really cool car. I mean, I don't, didn't know what it was. But I was gonna, this was going to be it. I was going to make it. That didn't turn out too well. I'm now a pastor. So. Uh, okay. Since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. Okay, so now what Paul's saying is, since we're beginning to understand this, that we're in this earthly tent, that we're becoming like Jesus, here's what he says. You'd think, if he says, since then we know what it is to fear the Lord, you'd think he'd say, we need to try even harder now. Since then we know what it's like to fear the Lord, we need to really get serious. No, here's what he says. There's going to be something that happens in you that is so appealing. That is so life transformi- uh, transforming. That we try to persuade others. As we become like Christ. And we begin to go through our life. Maybe retirement didn't turn out as great as you thought. Well, how would Jesus handle your retirement? As we begin to see that life perspective. We begin to persuade others and go. You got you to gotta change your perspective. You need to. You need to get to know this God, this Jesus. He says, for Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. In other words, when you start following Christ, you're already dead. You die to yourself and you become like him. You're looking at me right now. I'm up here in my earthly tent. I'm already dead. I'm already dead. As far as eternity is concerned, my eternity started the the minute I began to become a disciple of Jesus. The minute I began to follow him. He goes on and he says this. He died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves. If I'm a failed soccer player... (laughs) So, I will, I'm not living for myself. I've just failed. If I'm a bad investor, and you say, John, you're the worst investor I've ever seen in my life. How could you lose that money? I go, oh, I'm not good at it. I don't live for myself though, so whatever. Do You see how freeing that is? Can you, can you imagine if you began to look back at all your mistakes and go, Yeah, now, now hear me out. That doesn't mean you can go around making a bunch of mistakes. Like Jesus wouldn't do that. You're like, ah, it doesn't matter. Mama needs a new Timex. Come on, let's go. And you know, you're you're like, go and gamble it all away. That's not, that's not what's going on. What's going on is as you are working out your salvation with what the Bible calls fear and trembling. As you stumble and fall, you go, okay, I'm going to get back up because I'm not living for myself. I'm going to become more and more like Jesus. He says, and they died for all, and those who live should no longer live for themselves. But for him who died for them and was, parenthetically, more importantly, raised again. Man, can you imagine what a game changer that would be at your work with that annoying employee? That annoying manager? If you actually adopted the concept that, you know what? I'm not living for myself. This is an unfair situation and I probably need to get myself out of it. But in the meantime, I don't live for myself. I live for him. And so I'm going to do the best I can to be the best Jesus I can be in the situation that I'm in now. And yeah, I groan. I'm in this earthly tent and I long to be clothed and I long to be with him. And I long to spend eternity with him. But I'm going to choose to let eternity start today. And I'm going to be with him today in the middle of my difficulty Watch this. So from now on, okay, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. From now on, we we regard no one with a worldly point of view. And that includes you. That includes the person next to you. We have this kingdom perspective. If somebody's annoying, if somebody's... You know, if something's not, they're not treating you right. It's because, in the worldly point of view, you'd say because they're a jerk. <laughs> in the kingdom point of view, you say, man, they're just not quite being the best Jesus they can be. They need to be working on that. He says, we, from now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do this no longer. In other words, what Paul's saying is, even when you were a follower of Christ, back when Christ was here on earth, you viewed him from a worldly point of view. He was rabbi. He was, he was um, um, who you follow, just like any other rabbi. But when he was raised from the dead, that changed everything. We don't look at him from a worldly point of view now. We look at him as Messiah, as Savior, sitting at the right hand of the throne of God. One of the three in the Trinity. So, what do we say? Well, the next verse is one that if you can own it. And if you can own it when you leave this room. And if you can carry it into tomorrow. And if you can carry it into this week. And if you can carry it into your kingdom perspective. Well, absolutely, you'll look back at your failures and you'll just laugh. Because you're already dead. (laughs) It's already done. I was in my garage the other day. My very well organized garage I might say. Or must say. It looks beautiful. And everything's in boxes. And everything's in its place. And I have a drawer named pliers. (laughs) Isn't that awesome? And you pull the drawer named pliers out. And there's pliers in there. And they're all organized perfectly. And I'm gonna keep those pliers until I die. And then you know what's gonna happen? My kids are gonna put them in a garage sale. And one of them's gonna steal my tool chest. And they're going to go through all those boxes that are so neatly organized. And they're going to go, why did they keep this? And they're going to drag it into the trash. And they're going to sell my house. And they're going to divide up how much it's worth amongst themselves. Like they did when they tore up Jesus' garments and divided them up. They're going to take all my stuff. And they're going to keep it. I don't care. I'm already dead. The pliers are already gone. Because here's what the Bible says about me and about you. Paul starts with therefore. He takes all these things and he sums it all up into this therefore. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, anyone, the new creation has come. You are a new creation. The old has gone. The new is here. Whatever your failures were, whatever your past was, whatever all that is, if you are in Christ, it's behind you. It's done. It's over. You died and you've been born again to live life with eternity starting today. This is the gospel. This is the good news. That you can walk out of here with a relationship With Jesus, and you can walk into the rest of your life and then into eternity with Him. That's the gospel. Your failures shape you, they do not define you. I've been shaped by my failures. I don't invest my own money anymore. (laughs) I don't play soccer anymore. I don't care about having my own business and trying to be rich anymore all that stuff shaped me but well, it doesn't define me your failure whatever it is whatever that relationship was whatever those decisions were you can probably even go look at yesterday and go ooh i had a bad one yesterday <laughs> it doesn't define you it shapes you don't do that but if you are in christ if anyone is in christ the new has come you are new he says, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself. And then watch what he says, because this is the exciting thing. You say, well, if I don't live for me and I live for him, how does that even play out? Like, do I go to work tomorrow? Like, yeah, yes, you do go to work tomorrow if you have a job. If you don't, you find work tomorrow, okay? Like, do I, what, like what, how does it affect my relationships? Well, it affects your relationships in a good way. Imagine if you became more like Christ in your relationships. They're only going to get better. Right? And so he says, because we're reconciled, this is what he, this is the the new mission he's given you. And gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Your ministry now is reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ. Not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. Next week. Uh, We have a guest speaker coming, Nina Lau Branson. And uh, we're we're heading into a new uh, series called Free. We're a free Methodist church. And um, we have these five freedoms that make us free. And the first is the freedom for all races to worship together. And so she's going to be talking about that, about racial reconciliation. This is our ministry as believers. There should be no, there should be nothing between us based on race. The Galatians says this, there's neither slave nor free, Jew nor Greek, male nor female. In Christ, we are all, all one. So she's going to be talking about that. I'm very excited. I won't be here. I'll be camping with my son. But uh, I, can, I, can, uh, I can't wait to watch it when she's done. But this is the ministry we have. He says this. So think about this, okay? Because you, when you go to work tomorrow, when you get on the freeway tomorrow, when you go back home today, and you go into your schools this week, this is your job. We are ambassadors. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. Listen to this. As though God... We're making his appeal through us. Oh my goodness. You know when there's an ambassador. We have ambassadors for the United States, right? Why did I I say it that way? For the United States. We've got ambassadors. They're so good. Um, And their job isn't to go and share their opinion. Their job isn't to go and, uh, you know, say, well... Hey, listen, uh, I was sent here to do this deal, but I'll tell you what. Let's fudge a couple of these numbers. I, I think I have a better way. Their job is to represent the U.S. If this verse is correct, your job is to represent God. <laughs> Just say that out loud. What's your job? Uh, my job is to represent God, you know. Because automatically you're thinking, and I don't do a good job of it. (laughs) We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Put that old stuff behind. It's over. It's dead If anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. You are new. God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. (laughs) I mean, honestly, so that we might become the righteousness of God. In this section of scripture, we have gone, as the worship band comes back up, from earthly tent to the righteousness of God. How did we get there? How did we do that? How did I go from telling my stories about my failures, my groaning of my earthly tent, and all this stuff, to wait a minute, I'm Christ's ambassador. This is what Jesus does. This is the life transformation that happens if we would just choose to obey him and follow him. We're going to enter into a slower time of worship just um, and here's what I'd, I'd like us to do. For some of you, uh, when I started talking about failures, you went to one. You went to one real fast. It's probably the one you normally go to all the time. The one that sneaks up out of nowhere that says, when you're having a great time or you're doing something and you're feeling great, and all of a sudden in the back of your mind, you remember you're a failure you remember that mistake you made. I want to give you an opportunity this morning to leave that here. Like I say all the time, if you leave it here, we'll sweep it up. We'll take care of it. Don't even worry about it. You, just, you can drop it on the floor. We'll vacuum it up. It's not a big deal. But for some of you, it might be an important step. And this is a difficult step. But to stand up and come to the altar here and just kneel and pray and say, God, I, I don't want to hold on to this failure anymore. I want to accept the fact that I am a new creature in you.